you were listening to the Red Hill Church Sermon Podcast. Red Hill Church is a gospel-centered, missional church in the Edwardsville, Glen Carbon community of the St. Louis Metro East. We exist to glorify God and make disciples by sharing the gospel and sharing our lives. Good morning, church. My name is Carrie, and I'm your scripture reader today. If you would please remain standing for the reading of God's word, that would be wonderful. We're in Jonah 1 today. We start our four-part series in Jonah today. Um, So we're going to be reading all the way through chapter 1. So if you want to turn, scroll to Jonah 1, here we go. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. The captain approached him and said, What are you doing sound asleep? Get up! Call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other. Let's cast lots. Then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots and the lot singled out Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us who it is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business and where are you from? What is your country and what people are you from? He answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were seized by a great fear and said to him, What have you done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you so that the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. He answered them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this great storm that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, Please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life, and don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The word of the Lord. All right, y'all, we are starting our series in Jonah, so we'll just get this out of the way at the beginning. Jonah was a prophet, but he... Okay, you guys have seen Veggie Tales. That's as close to Veggie Tales as we're getting for the rest of this. Um, there are, there's just massive amounts of irony as we roll into Jonah. Uh, you're, what you're going to see as we get into chapter one is that Jonah was a prophet, a man of God, but he's running from God. And at the same time, we're going to run into these pagan sailors who had many gods, none of whom were trustworthy, but what we see is them turning to God. So that this backwards irony. But we should talk more before we jump in. The other piece of irony is that we plan out, we've got our sermon calendar through the end of the year. And so Raiden said to me, or to Josh and me and Gary and whoever else was at staff meeting. Hey, I'm going out of town this weekend. I'm going on vacation. Uh, who wants to preach? I said, fine, I, I will. I don't care. And uh, I, then, then I looked at the calendar, and, and the, the one-word description for today is running. 
I am the last person in this room that should be up here talking about running in any kind of physical sense. My trainer is over there. I need somebody tall to sit right next to Bethany in front of Drew so I can't see him. Um, All right. Uh, Drew's going on vacation today too, so he's already in vacation mode. He may talk back. I don't care if you guys talk back. You're not going to offend me or bother me. Just be nice or kind. (laughs) Text me the mean stuff. We may get interactive a bit as we go along. Um, So you hear Jonah, everybody thinks fish, right? There's the, the fish and whatever. The fish takes up such an incredibly small part of the book. This is not a story primarily about fish. So we're going to walk through, before we even jump into the text, who are we really talking about and what's going on here? So you've got Jonah. Jonah was a prophet in Israel in the mid-700s B.C., and he primarily served King Jeroboam II. Jeroboam was king of Israel. He was an evil king. He was one of those kings that did not do what the Lord said. But Jonah was a national hero. In the back and forth between Israel and Assyria, Israel had lost some of its northern lands. And Jonah went to Jeroboam and said, hey, God is telling me to tell you, go take back those lands. Jeroboam went, undertook this conquest, and was able to reclaim part of the land that Assyria had taken. So Jonah's this hero, right? He heard from the Lord, and he told the king to do it. The king did it, and and Israel was successful. So we're coming into this with Jonah as a successful prophet, as a national hero. And God shows up and and tells him to go to Nineveh. And before we talk about that, we're going to talk about Nineveh. What's Nineveh? Nineveh is a real place. Uh, There are multiple prophecies against Nineveh in the Old Testament. The entire book of Nahum, for example, is a prophecy against Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian kingdom. This is where the bad guys were headquartered. The guys that they had lost these northern territories to that Jonah said, go get them back. Nineveh is the place, the, the headquarters for all these bad guys. Modern day, it's where Mosul, Iraq is. It's on the Tigris River and um, the Lord told Jonah to go there. Liza, will you, will you show me the slide? I, I thought, let's look at, at Google Maps and see how long it would take us to walk from the temple to Nineveh. And the, when I clicked it, it says 231 hours. That's 231 hours, 1,100 kilometers. I don't know why it's in kilometers. I have Google set wrong, I guess. It's 231 hours to walk from the Temple Mount to Mosul. Now, that's if you walk. Non-stop. That's nonstop. When I first pulled it up, I think it said something like 11 days, 10 to 11 days of nonstop walking to get there. So this is the Temple Mount. You can kind of see, I don't know if my head's in the way, but the Temple Mount's down here in Israel. It's Jerusalem. So Jonah is supposed to go that way. He goes that way. We'll talk about that more as we go on. But that's Nineveh. It's Mosul, Iraq. You can take that down, Lies. And of course, other characters in this are the fish. We're not going to talk a lot about the fish today, um, but I do want to say this. For some people, the whole idea of the fish is a hang-up to the whole story. I just want to get the fish out of the way so we can talk about what the book's really about. Was there really a fish? Did Jonah really go into it? Did it really swallow him and somehow not kill him? Did he really hang out there for three days? Jesus said yes. So I'm going with yes. Um, Ray and I were talking about this, and, and as best we could tell, which mostly means as best he could tell, um, it was universally accepted in the church that this was a true story, not allegory, that this was a true story until about 200 years ago. And about 200 years ago, people began to question, is there really a fish that could pull this off? There's a God that can pull it off. In fact, even more than putting a dude in a fish and having him barfed up in a few days, he put a guy in a tomb and brought him back to life. So is it 
An incredible story, yes. Is it hard to believe? Probably, especially if you're not a person of faith. Is it possible? Well, it's, it's not harder than bringing somebody back from death to life. So Jesus, in, in, in his conversations, uh, when he was walking the earth, confirms not just that it happened, and not in an allegorical sense, but that in a sense, he's a true and better Jonah. And we'll talk about that in a bit. That's kind of the backstory. If you hang around all four weeks, you get plants and worms at the end if you're into that kind of stuff. But today we're talking about Jonah running from God. Now, running is exhausting. I speak from very little personal experience, but Ev likes to run. Uh, Ev turned 13 yesterday. You guys can give him a high five on the way out. Um, so Friday night, he had a race in Peoria. We went up to Peoria, and, and it was a, a series of races based on age. And, and they let it's kind of backwards because it started in the evening and then went through into the dark. And they let the young people run after dark, but they made the old people, the my age people, run in the, in the daylight and the sun. And I watched these men and women as they ran the race. We were kind of at the start-finish line, and I watched them come out. They couldn't have been more wet if they had jumped in a pool. They didn't look happy. Some of them looked satisfied that they'd accomplished something. Most of them couldn't breathe. Some of them were throwing up. There was no part of watching this that made me think, that looks like fun, let's do that. <laughs> Some of you would see that differently. But running is exhausting. And what we see here is Jonah begin to run. Now, Jonah's not the point. Nineveh really isn't the point. The fish isn't the point. Worms and plants aren't the point. The whole book of Jonah really is about the relationship between God and man. And when we're talking about the relationship between God and man, we must also be talking about Jesus. So let's dive into this. We're going to see how God and man relate in this story and what that has to do with Jesus and what that has to do with us. So Jonah 1, the word of the Lord. We're going to stop there. If you're looking in your Bible, it probably is Lord in all caps. Many of you may know what this means, but if you're not particularly familiar with the Bible, God's got an actual name. God's actual name is not God. Um, it is what we generally call Yahweh. We don't even know if that's his actual name. He revealed himself to his people, and then hundreds of years later, the, the initial books of the Bible were written. By that point, it was custom and practice to not say or even write the divine name. They didn't want to take it in vain. They didn't want to transgress by somehow getting it wrong or not putting the proper respect on it. Um, so they stick this chunk of letters together that we now interpret as Yahweh. Many modern Bible translations make that into Lord in all caps. So if you see Lord in all caps, it doesn't really say Lord. It doesn't really mean Lord in the, in the master sense. Really, it's the, it's the personal name of God. Um, so the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. But Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. When God says, get up and go, he is commissioning Jonah. He's sending him to a particular place, to a particular people with a particular message. And he's sending them in this case because their evil has come up before me. In, in the original language, it, it really is a personification of evil. It is as though pure evil walked into the presence of God, and God said, I'm not dealing with this. I don't put up with this. Their evil had risen up before him, 
don't be confused into thinking that God suddenly noticed it. God is aware of, of all of your evil, my evil, their evil, our evil, anybody else's evil all the time. But at this particular point, in this particular moment, God decides to step in and do the thing that only God can do. And he asks Nona to, Jonah, not Nona, he asks Jonah to participate in that. He says, get up, go. Their evil has risen up against me. And this is a bit odd. The Old Testament's full of prophecy. Most of the time, the prophets were prophesying either against Israel, but in Israel against foreign powers, foreign entities, foreign people, someplace else. This time, God smacks Jonah on the butt and says, go, get in there, big boy. Jonah says, I'll go the other way. Now, we don't know where the map's gone. We don't know where Tarshish is, but it was the other way, perhaps as far as Spain from Iraq. So Jonah is literally going the opposite direction. And at this point, the author doesn't tell us why. We don't know who the author is, by the way. Some people think Jonah, some people think not. doesn't matter for purposes of, of our reading and understanding. Jonah goes the other way. Now, you've heard Raiden talk about the idea that the temple, you were always going up to the temple. didn't matter which direction you were coming from, you were going up. This is my wife, Carrie. Carrie's from Kentucky. Um, I love Carrie. I love her family. I don't love her hometown, but whatever. But one of the things that was, that was new to me when we started dating and I started hanging out with her family is that they were always going up to someplace or down to someplace. I don't remember which one they use, but it's one that they use all the time, regardless of whether it's actually up to that place or down. They just pick one and it's just, it's just universally true. It just means we're going. And, and the Israelites would refer to up and down with relation to the temple. The temple was always up, down was always away from the temple. So we're seeing this theme with Jonah that he begins to go down down away from the temple, away from the place where God's presence dwelt, away from the place where most likely Jonah was commissioned. Jonah goes down to Joppa, so he went, instead of going, I'm backwards, but on the map, instead of going northeast, he went down west to um, the sea, uh, to the Mediterranean Sea, to the coast there, and he, he got on this boat to go further west, and it says he went down to Joppa, found a ship, then he went down into it, Again, this idea of going away from the Lord. And it says his, his purpose was to flee from the Lord's presence. Put a pin in that. We're going to come back to that. What does it mean to flee from the Lord's presence? We're going to talk through this text, and then we'll come back and talk about that. He gets on the boat, though, and then uh, things get weird. If you just read this, it looks like, oh, there was a storm, and it was bad, and they got scared. But the original language, sometimes we lose so much with these translations, is much more graphic. It really, like, picture a food fight. It, when it says the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, really the idea is that the Lord grabbed the wind and just as hard as he could flung it at the sea. And in the process, the, the result is this great storm that threatens to break up the ship. We're not talking about pushing it off course. We're not talking about a little delay and some headwinds getting where you're going. You're talking about this wind and this storm is so severe that they think they're going to die. It's just going to break the ship up. And so what do they do? What do you do if somebody throws food at you? Well, obviously, you throw back. God throws wind at the sea. They start throwing stuff at the sea, right? The sailors are grabbing everything they can think of that isn't a human, and they start chucking it into the sea. Maybe that'll lighten the load enough. While they're doing that, it doesn't lighten the load. 
while they're doing that, obviously this isn't working. So they start praying to their gods. Let's read about this. The Lord threw a great wind onto the sea. This is verse 4. And such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid and each cried out to his God. The concept here is they all had their own gods. They were polytheistic. They may have had more than one God, but nobody's crying out to the Lord, to Yahweh. Um, They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. And while all this is happening, these pagans are freaking out. They're praying. They're throwing their their stuff, whatever they were on the boat for, right? This wasn't a cruise ship. Whatever was on the boat that they're throwing into the sea was their business. It was the cargo they were transporting. And it was whatever was supposed to keep them alive. It was their food, their water, their provisions. They're chucking every source of income and life into the sea in hopes of staying alive. And my boy Jonah has gone down further into the ship he is cashed out. He had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. Now, don't miss the little piece of irony here. Jonah, the man of God, is asleep when God is literally using a storm to break the boat apart. And the pagan people are over here praying. And they're not getting it quite right yet. But they're demonstrating some faith, some effort to do something. It doesn't work. So we get to verse 6. The captain's ticked. The captain comes down to Jonah and he says, what are you doing? You can't really understand that, I don't think, unless you've had kids. But those of you who are parents or who are young enough to remember being, you guys know that voice. What are you doing? Get up. Call out to your God. We've tried all of our gods. You try yours now. Maybe your God will consider us and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other. Let's cast lots. He doesn't even wait for Jonah. He's like, dude, get up and pray to your God. Let's go. They gather everybody together, and they do this thing called casting lots. It sounds a little bit like witchcraft or voodoo or whatever, but God's people did it too, and God spoke through it. We don't know exactly what it meant to cast lots. It is some form or version of rock throwing, usually would involve colored rocks, and there'd be one rock that was one color and then other rocks that were different colors. And depending on which rocks fell where and pointed at who, you could figure out yeses or noes, or in this case, who's the guy who's supposed to speak up. So these pagan folks who have all their various gods are demonstrating some faith in their gods. They're trusting that as they throw these these rocks, the gods, whoever happens to be in charge, will speak through those and point out the problem. They say, come on, let's cast lots. This is verse 7. Then we'll know who's to blame for this trouble we're in. Let's just stop there for a minute. These were professional sailors. They had been in storms. The thing that isn't said, but we can see here, is this wasn't normal. They'd been in storms. Storms didn't bother them. They were they keep going back out on the sea. They know that there's something different and there's something special about this. They're recognizing a divine hand in it, but they can't get a handle on it. So they say, let's cast lots. Maybe they'll show us who's to blame. The lot picks Jonah. So they say to him, tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What's your business? Where are you from? What's your country and what people are you from? The lot lands on him and he's stuck. I imagine, as I imagine them asking these questions, I doubt. It's like, okay, so the thing right and said, what high school did you go to? I imagine they're in his face because they've started with the, the lot casting by saying, we're going to figure out who's to blame. And it lands on him. 
And you can just picture them getting up in his face. What's going on, dude? Who are you? Where are you from? What's your business here? Whose people are you? What you? you get the idea, right? This concept. They are struggling to figure out what's going on, and they're beginning to hone in on it. And then in verse 9, Jonah comes clean. He says, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. He says, I serve, really he's saying, I serve, I'm a Hebrew. I fear Yahweh would be a, a more literal reading of it, which is a little bit ironic, again, because his actions are demonstrating anything other than fear of Yahweh. He's just going about his business, doing as he please, really kind of like, you know, double birds to the Lord kind of. He's just headed out. I don't care what you said. I'm going to go do my thing. They freak out. Jonah says, I fear the Lord. They're like, do you really? Then he points out that, that his Lord, this Yahweh, is the God who made the sea and the land. And they're like, dude, why are you doing this? What are you doing? It says they were seized by a great fear. So now they've been introduced to the God of the land and the sea. Jonah knows him intimately and has, has spoken with him. Doesn't actually demonstrate any fear of Yahweh. These pagan sailors who will believe any God all of a sudden learn who the real God is and they fear him. But they're not quite ready to follow. What have you done? The men knew he was fleeing from Yahweh's presence because he told them. So they said, All right, you're the expert on this God. What do we do to get this Yahweh of yours to make this problem better? And Jonah comes up with the weirdest thing. He says, well, God threw the wind, you threw the cargo, throw me next. That's an odd thing, I think. We're so familiar with the story, right? Couldn't he just have repented? They're, they're putting up, you've told me about your God. You've told me that he's doing this thing to us because of what you've done. How do you fix it? And his response is not, let's get right with God. His response is, throw me further away. He's willing to sacrifice his life, not for them, but so he still doesn't have to do the thing that God told him to do. They said, what should we do? That's verse 11. What should we do to you so that the sea will calm down for us? The sea was getting worse and worse. He answered them, pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this storm that is against you. He introduces them to Yahweh. He gives them a path out, and they don't take it. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. Jonah told them how to appease God. They didn't like the means of appeasing God, and they decided to continue in their own strength. That never works. They couldn't make it to dry land. They were making no progress. We get to verse 14. So they called out to the Lord, Please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life, 
and don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. Really what they're saying is a, it's, a, it's both. Look, we don't want to die because this fool disobeyed you. But now that we know you have power, we don't want you coming after us because we throw this dude over. Like we feel kind of trapped here. And then they come to the place that we all have to come to. Lord, we're going to do the thing because you have done just as you pleased. And they pick up Jonah and they threw him into the sea and the sea stopped its raging. And the men were seized by great fear of the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Jonah goes swimming. The sea calms down. And these men recognize the power God has. It says that they made offered a sacrifice they made promises to offer sacrifices. You recall they didn't have anything to actually sacrifice. Anything they would have sacrificed went swimming before Jonah did. But they've seen the power of the Lord and now they fear him and they commit to serve him. And then the Lord appoints a great fish. Really the concept here is that from the beginning of time, this fish was appointed for this moment. God wasn't surprised that Jonah went swimming This was always where this was going, and God had the vehicle of Jonah's rescue there. He appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Well, then what? I don't know. Come back next week, watch the Veggie Tales, read it on your own. Um, We're not focusing on the fish this week. This book isn't about, not just this book, this chapter isn't about uh, prophets, pagans, or fish. It's about the relationship between man and God. And we all have to face the same reality that Jonah had to face and that the sailors eventually had to come to face. There is a God who is in control. He knows about you, and he wants something for you. And he wants something from you. Now, if God wants something from me, I have the same two options that Jonah had. I can run, or I can do the thing. As much as I hate running, and as I joke about like, the physical grossness of running, I run from God all the time. I think we all do. So let's look at how do we know if we're running? What does it look like when we run, and what do we do about it? Well, when Jonah was fleeing from the Lord, remember that probably, we don't know for sure, but probably Jonah was, received his commission in the temple, right? The place that God hung out, God's house. Um, and so when Jonah decided to run from the Lord, he ran from the place where he was commissioned. He ran from the place where he knew God spoke. He ran from the people who were gods, the other folks around who would have communicated with God and held him accountable for what he was supposed to do in his walk with the Lord. He ran from the nation. He ran from every place where God was actively working. And he went someplace else where he thought maybe God's not working over there. And specifically, he went the opposite direction of exactly the specific place, not just where God was, but where God said, I'm going to be working over here, and I want you to come work with me. And he went the other way. What does that look like in our lives? Well, first of all, if God's told you to talk to somebody and you haven't, that's running. When we run, we don't, most of us, I think, I don't know, I don't know anybody who's ever run from God by going to get on a ship. Maybe we've learned our lesson as a race of humankind. I don't know. What does it look like when we run in America in the 21st century? It looks like not being engaged in a local church. It means like, it, it looks like avoiding a time in the Word, avoiding the Bible because we might hear something we don't want to face. 
it's avoiding people who speak truth into our lives, the people who might hold us accountable and point us back to God. It's staying away from the place God has designed for us and designated for our service. I think, I think about Bailey. Um, Bailey, Bailey, like Sarah led worship today. Bailey's our worship leader most of the time. Sarah's my kid, so I see, I can never look at her the way I can look at Bailey because I've known her from the very beginning. But I think about Bailey. I watched Bailey this week play guitar and sing on Thursday night uh, at, at, a, at a show he was doing. We've watched him here a thousand times. God made him to do that. And for this season, he's given him to us, and we appreciate that, and we appreciate Bailey's obedience in that. It takes a ton of work to do what Bailey does. I am sure, he's probably uncomfortable right now, I am, he's never expressed this to me, but I am sure there are times, and he's like, I don't want to. How easy would it be to just slowly step out? Slowly step out. That can happen to any of us. When you're designed for a thing, you're designed for a place, you're designed for a people, and you move away from that thing, that's running from God. Now, Jonah could sit back at the end of the day and say, but look what happened. If I hadn't run, I never would have gotten to preach Yahweh to these pagan sailors. God's response might be, that wasn't your job. I'm glad you did it while you were there, but that's not what I made you for, and that's not what I told you to do. I think a lot of times for me, I can convince myself that I'm not running if I'm just doing other things that look Jesus-y. Even if it's not the particular thing he has said, do this. Got to be careful for that. We have to be careful for that. Most of the time, though, it's just not doing the thing we know we're supposed to do. And I think sometimes in this age, we hem and haw over what are we supposed to do. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know where I'm supposed to be. I don't know who I'm supposed to talk to. Running doesn't always look like running. I was in a marching band in high school. Any other marching people out here? So I didn't know a whole lot about it. Uh, I didn't know a whole lot about it when I signed up. I I mean, I really, I I didn't even know how to play my instrument and never did, so they kicked me out of two years. Um, That's not true, mostly. Okay, so, but it's cool, right? Because you see these clips of marching bands, and they're making like flowers and pinwheels, whatever, on the field. It's a lot of work, man. They make you go in the summer when it's hot and you march, and they give you this concept called marking time. Do you know what marking time is? It's when you march, but you don't go anywhere. It looks like you're marching. Everybody in the field says, what a great job. Their feet all go up and down at the same time. You're not going anywhere. Man, have I been guilty of that in my faith where it looks like I'm doing something. I'm doing the busy work. My leg's moving. I'm doing something. But I'm not making progress towards where God has called me, towards what he's called me to do or who he's called me to talk to. Sometimes running looks like just the all-out sprint away from wherever you're supposed to be. Sometimes running looks like sleeping. Bottom of the boat. Not a care in the world, but not where you're supposed to be. Sometimes running looks like marking time. It looks busy. It feels like a lot's going on, but not where God wants you to be. How do you know if you're running? Sometimes it's easy to know, right? Jonah knew he was running. One of the things I read this week as I was preparing is, was really the concept of idolatry in this and the reminder that anything that you run to instead of God is an idol. Sometimes the easiest way to know that I'm running is, or to check to see if I'm running is to see what I'm running to. 
maybe I don't feel like I'm running from God. But what I realize is that I'm running after, towards, or for something that isn't him. Well, if I'm running towards anything other than who he is and what he's got for me, I'm chasing an idol and I'm running from him. And let's be clear, God's going to smash your idols. He's in the business of smashing idols. He wrecks vehicles of our idolatry and our running. God's going to get his way. That's the, that's the story of Jonah. Jonah, spoiler alert, eventually does obey. God's going to get his way in your life and in this world. The question is what kind of storms and kinds of collateral damage we're going to have to face until we get there. I don't like green beans. I don't think they taste good. I don't think they smell good. I don't think they look good. Sarah also didn't like green beans. There is a phrase at my house, occasionally still used, uh, daddy wins. And when Sarah was but a young tyke, we had green beans one night, and the rule was she had to try them. She had to try everything that mom made, or the dad made, but that didn't happen much. Uh, Carrie made green beans, and I'm sure they were wonderful, but whatever. I ate my thankful bite and moved on. Sarah <laughs> wouldn't eat her thankful bite. She was, I think, three, maybe two. And Sarah and I sat at the table for three or four hours. Not my favorite way to ever spend time. Uh, I love spending time with her, but, like, let's not fight over green beans. The lesson Sarah had to learn that night is that daddy wins. Now, I'm not God. I don't actually always win. And sometimes when I think I win, it's a loss. But our father is not like that. His wins are perfect, and they are certain. He's going to win. He's given us a race course to run. The question is, do we run the race course? Uh, or do we pull a Jonah and take off? Now, we don't use boats, right? We use getaway drivers. And I think the, the phrase is, you can fly, but you won't get far. We don't need getaway drivers. And one of the things we have to be careful of is that not just that I might be the one running, but maybe I'm your getaway driver. I don't want to be that either. I think the Christian walk looks a whole lot more like a three-legged race, only with a lot of legs. Every description we see of running the race, particularly in the New Testament, what the New Testament church looks like, is a whole bunch of people who are struggling to follow the way of Jesus together. A whole bunch of legs tied together, slowly plodding towards the goal he has for us. We need each other. We need community, and we need to be focused on him to make sure we're on the course because God has something for you. The question is, are you running? Believer, what does God want from you? Well, he's given you a commission just like he gave Jonah a commission, and he's given you commands just like he gave Jonah commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Are you running? Love your neighbors genuinely and generously. Are you running? Go, make, same go that he told Jonah, go, make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to follow Jesus. That's a command given to every believer. Are you running? If you're running, the fix is easy. Just remember who he is and repent. And repent's one of those church words that, that like, 
I don't really know what it means. It literally means turn from Tarshish back to Nineveh. Repent literally means wear your squeaky shoes, make the noise, and turn from your own way right back to whatever the Lord has for you, right back to what he's told you to do, right back to what he's called you to. And the, the, the wonderful thing about him being him is that he never blocks the road. There's never a time you're going to turn from doing your own thing and turn back to the Lord and he's going to say, nope. If you're a believer and you're running, if you're a believer when you're running, remember who he is and repent. If you aren't a follower of Jesus, his command is simple. Follow him. Stop following whatever it is that you're following, yourself or something else, somebody else, and turn to him. If you're not following Jesus, you're running from him. And just like the sailors on that boat, you need to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Verse 14, it says, So they called out to the Lord, Please don't let us perish. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. And we have more church words, right? What does it mean to perish? Well, to perish is to die as a person who's been disobedient to God and then to spend eternity separated from him and from anything good. We call that disobedience sin, and the Bible tells us that every single one of us has sinned. We call that separation hell, and I think this comes up every time I preach. Hell is real, and it is far worse than you can imagine. Hollywood hell isn't a thing. It's not what's in the movies. It's not what's on TV. Hell is real, and it's awful, worse than you can imagine. And just like these sailors, you can't fix the problem on your own. You've got a sin problem. You can't fix it. You can't row harder. You can't do better. You can't do well enough to get back to where you need to be with God because you can't get to perfect. Doing it under your own power never works. You have to do what they did here. Call on the Lord and turn your direction around. It is better to repent than to perish. Jesus reveals himself when he talks about Jonah as a true and better Jonah. Jonah sacrificed himself to deal with his own sin, maybe, and if we're being really generous, maybe he sacrificed himself to save a few sailors. But Jesus sacrificed himself even though he had no sin. And he did it to pay for your sin and my sin. So you can have him, so you can have heaven, and so I can have him, and I can have heaven. Running is hard work. It's exhausting. And it's not what you're made for. You're made for communion with him. You're made for being in his presence. You're made for walking after him as you follow the course that he's got laid for you. Are you running? Let's pray. Lord, I am, uh, man, I'm thankful for the sign of Jonah because you know that I've run. And I'm so thankful that the path back is just to turn around. It's just to remember who you are and repent. Lord, I pray that you convict me of that, convict us of that again and again and again. Running is such a bad idea, but in our limits, in the moment, sometimes it seems like the best option or the only option or just the easiest option. Lord, would you give us your scope, your long view, your understanding of, of what it means to, to love you and to love people? Father, for those in this room that are running right now, would you call them back? For those in this room that have, have never followed you, would you call them for the first time? And if you're in this room and you hear him calling you, don't ignore him. Don't do what Jonah did and run the other way. 
It's our response time. And here's what I want you to respond with. Here's what I want you to think about. If you're a believer, just spend a few minutes asking the Lord, am I running? Show me where I'm running. If you're not a believer of Jesus, if you're not somebody who's trusted in Him, I'm telling you, you're running. Maybe you know it, maybe you don't. But I would ask you just to sit there and just ask God to talk to you. Ask Him to reveal Himself to you. And I'm asking you to put your faith in Him, to trust Him. I want you guys to think about that, pray about that for a minute, and then when you're ready, feel free to take communion if you're a believer. Um, somebody who's trusted in Jesus on either side, there's bread to dip into the juice. You can give while you're there, you can give online, and then in a few minutes, we'll, we'll join together again to sing. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Red Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you have any questions about this message, our church, or the gospel, or if you'd like to get in touch with one of our elders, you can visit our website at www.redhill.church. Navigate to the I'm New tab and click the option for Connection Card. Filling out this online card will allow you to get in touch with us and one of our elders will follow up as soon as possible. Thanks for listening and be sure to check back next week as we continue to study and apply God's Word.